0: Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Today again we're in Exodus chapter 16. If you turn there, and just as by way of of bringing everybody up to speed, if you haven't been here last week or last couple of weeks, we've seen God really move in some miraculous ways. Once we transitioned from Genesis to Exodus, uh, we we met Moses, one of the most significant prophets in all of Christianity and Judaism, and uh, we see that God really manifested His power and His glory. Through Moses and the plagues uh, against Egypt. And God gave plenty of chances to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh's heart was hard and he said no. And it took 10 plagues to kind of get the Israelites released, you know, all of it coming to a head with the death of the firstborn in every Egyptian household. And then Pharaoh finally releases the Israelites. They begin their journey and God leads them to a, a really weird place, a place between death on one side and a big sea on the other. And God does the miraculous and he opens the sea and the Israelites go through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. And they walk through the sea and as soon as they're through and Pharaoh gives chase, the sea closes up and Pharaoh's Pharaoh and all of his might are destroyed. Now the Israelites are on the other side of the Red Sea and you know, just like you would expect, they started singing some songs and they started giving praise to God. But then they have to keep going. They have to keep moving. And the songs stop and the grumbling starts. And this morning we're going to see that God leads us into and through trials to sanctify us. And that's exactly what's happening with the Israelites. God is sanctifying them and he is demonstrating to them their own weakness and demonstrating his strength. So this is where we find ourselves today in chapter 16 of Exodus. Um, We're going to start in verse 2. We're going to read through verse 4. Verse 2 says, The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. We'll come back to that in a second. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Today's first point is God provides for his people in their time of need. When we read this text, there's a couple things pop into my mind. Number one, we always remember things better than they were. Isn't that true? When we find ourselves in a new situation, a new duty station, uh, a new job, a new location, whether it be if we come from Mexico and we're moved to Germany or we're coming from uh, Jamaica or Oklahoma or Texas, okay, Texas doesn't, it's always better in Texas, right? But you know... <laughs> We're coming from wherever, and we remember back to that last job or that last place, and we always remember it kind of through rose colored glasses. And here we see the Israelites doing the same. They were slaves in Egypt, and they're crying out, Oh, I wish that I was back in Egypt where I could eat meat till I was full and bread. Is that true? No, that's not true. They were slaves. Right, they didn't have all they could eat buffets. They didn't have old country buffet or uh, what's the other one—the really classy one, Golden Corral. <laughs> now, Stacy and I, when we're back in the states, we travel all over the country, preaching at different churches, sharing what we do here in Germany. And there are some small towns where the fanciest restaurant in town is the Golden Corral. Oh Lord, have mercy! <laughs> if they if they're if they're if they're just a hair bigger, they probably have a chilies. I know um, when we get here, we're like, I, I don't care if I ever see another Chili's as long as I live. You know what I mean? We eat it a lot because Texas has a ton of small towns, and so uh, you know if they don't, if they're not big enough for either of those, then they have a Dairy Queen, right? And praise the Lord for Dairy Queen. Ain't nothing wrong with Dairy Queen. But uh, here they are saying, oh, you know, if if we were just back where we were at, back in slavery we'd have all we could eat. And that's just not, it's not true. And so, you know, I do this, I still do this to this day. I think back, you know, and you're like, oh, remember when? And we only remember the best parts of that. And I'll tell you, nothing keeps us from doing what we ought to be doing right now than thinking back, thinking back to the way things were, where we were. It, it keeps us from doing what, we're ought, what we ought to be doing right now. Another thing that I think is interesting is in verse 4, the Lord said, I'm going to make it rain bread. And for some reason, I just see the Lord with like a loaf of bread just doing this, (laughs) making it rain, you know? I'm going to make it rain bread. I mean, that's crazy. That is so crazy. Bread is going to come from nowhere. Nowhere. If that happened today... I would weigh 600 pounds. You know, I would, I mean, I love bread. I love German bread. One of my biggest, you know, worries about moving back to the States is having to eat wonder again or something, you know, no Laugenbrüchen, right? None of that or that, you know, that pretzel bread, those beautiful, beautiful pretzels, right? Great croissants and baguette. I like food in case you can't tell, but God said, I'm going to make it rain bread. I just think that's interesting. But the Israelites, after seeing all the miracles of God, after seeing God do all these signs and all these wonders in Egypt, they come to the place where their faith is tested again. And instead of moving forward in faith, they grumble in fear. And again, church, we like to see ourselves as Moses the people the one person of all these other people who believe right but Mo, we are really more like the israelites in every way because we come to it and our faith is being tested and we grumble and we 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 kind of wonder you know god how can you make this work and see if god is ever going to prove that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than ours it's here Right When there is nothing around, there's desert all around them, maybe the sea in front. But other than that, there's nothing. And God says, I'm going to make it rain bread. I mean, that is just, that is so gangster, God. I'm just going to make it rain bread. I mean, just out of nowhere, I'm going to make it happen. God is the boss. And they're they're just grumbling. They're just like, oh, oh remember when we were slaves, that was so awesome, said no slave in history ever, right? How awesome it was to be a slave. But this demonstrates so much about God's character, about how patient he is. Aren't you glad for God's patience today? Somebody say amen. This is a participatory church in case you didn't know, okay? And he extends grace and mercy and forgiveness again and again. We love this about the character of God, about how graceful He is with us, about how merciful He is with us, about how much forgiveness He extends to us. We love this about God when it pertains to us. We don't always appreciate it when it pertains to others. We really hope many times that people would just get what they deserve, right? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever been guilty of that? God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy, and we'll come in here and we'll sing about how great the mercy and grace of God is and how when it's extended to us, we love it. But some other people just don't deserve it for some reason. Especially if they've wronged or hurt us. They've done something to us. We hold grudges and we hold people guilty, but God's not like that. The character of God is love, mercy, and forgiveness. He will judge, and he will judge in righteousness. But it is his... Nature to extend to us grace and mercy. And we see this again and again in the unfaithfulness of the Israelites. God is patient, God is kind. He is, you know, it's 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 beyond us to even understand it. Trials You know, God is obviously leading the Israelites into trials. There's easier ways to go. And he could have easily just dispersed the people before him and uh, before the Israelites. And he could have just dispatched the Egyptians. But God is testing their faith. He is pushing them. He is bringing them in the trials. And we think, well, God just wants to see how faithful they are. God is testing their faith so they can prove to God their faith. But is that really what's at work here? is god does god do that is he doesn't he already know the level of our faith and if he knows everything doesn't he know the level of our faith so then what are trials and tests for is it possible that trials and tests and things that we come against are not so we can prove our faith to god but that god may prove our faith to ourselves that we might see that we might see and know that jesus is lord and that our faith is in him and then see god deliver us from something which will help us, again, build our faith. Trials are not necessarily for us. They're so that we might come to know our faith. James says it like this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. (laughs) That's crazy. That is so antithetical to who we are today. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Tests of our faith are there that, we might, that our faith might become tangible to us. That we might grab hold of it, that we might lean on it, that it may help us for the trials to come. Count it all joys, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. How many of you, that's your attitude when trials come? Like, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, all right? This year, my car became illegal in Stuttgart, Germany. I have a diesel with a number four on it, and all of a sudden, Stuttgart said, we don't want that car in our town, I can't drive into Shugart anymore. And the train in my town doesn't run because they're electrifying it. It used to be a diesel train. Now it's a, they're going to make it electric. And it was supposed to be done in last August. It's not done. And uh, it's probably not going to be done until many more months. And you're thinking, you know, this is a real pain in the neck. You know, little trials, little things come into our lives, and and we grumble about them. You know, we we, but God it. That's a trivial little thing. Many of us have met much bigger challenges in our lives. But, you know, can you look back and think if the things that you're facing today you would have faced when you were 20, would you have been at all prepared to meet those challenges? I wouldn't have been. Listen, before I became the pastor of SMCC, Stacy and I had served in ministry for 15 years. 15 years of ministry, more than that. 15 years where somebody, other congregations let us just be the sorriest pastors, you know, making mistakes here and making mistakes there and, you know, misjudgments there and, you know, so that we could be prepared for, to come and plant a church. Like if you would ask me to plant a church at 20, I would have had no idea what I was doing. But God prepares us through difficulties and, and trials and and things as that we might meet the next challenge in our lives. They're actually, trials are a demonstration of grace. It brings us to our second point as we get to Exodus sixteen thirteen. God provides for his people despite their disobedience. Go with me to verse 13. In the evening, quail came and covered the camp. How many of you have ever eaten a quail, right? It's a really tiny chicken. But if you smoke them, and you wrap them with bacon, and you smoke them for hours in a, you know, a real smoker, a real barbecue, oh, they are delicious, right? The two bites of meat that you get out of them. But in the evening, quail came and covered the camp, in the morning, dew lay on the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some some more, some less, but... They measured it with an omer. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some of them left it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Here we are. The bread has been, again, provided miraculously, there's bread on the ground. Now, again, we like to think that we would be, this would be cool, right? You know, this is cool. There's bread on the ground. Surely there's going to be bread again tomorrow because the Lord said so. And they go out and they gather. They're only supposed to gather what they can eat on that day, as we'll see in a little bit. They can gather twice as much on Saturday so they wouldn't have to gather on Sunday. But in general, they gathered one day at a time. And they go out and somebody, some idiot, goes out there and takes twice as much as they ought to take. And they try to save it. Even though the Lord specifically said not to. And I call this person an idiot, but I'm looking kind of in the mirror, right? Because I do the same thing. God gives instructions to the Israelites. He has given us instructions too. For our benefit, He's providing for us. He's giving to us. And he has given us his word, not as a curse, but as a blessing. He gives the bread, not as a curse, but as a blessing. And here they have the bread in the wilderness. They don't have to work for it. All they have to do is pick it up. All they have to do is go out and pick up bread. I enjoy my daily walk down to the bakery and getting bread. I don't go every day, but you know what I mean. I enjoy that. They go out. And they pick up bread that's been provided for them. And the Lord just specifically says, Don't gather too much. I'll give you some more tomorrow. Fresh bread. Who likes day old bread? Nobody. Nobody. I don't even know why they try to sell it. I think Germans make canoodles out of it, right? Canoodles, right? Which is basically like stuff. It's like a stuffing ball if you've never had one. They're pretty good, right? But that's what you do with day old bread. You don't eat it, right? You don't just like, Oh, I'm going to have day old bread. Because if you've ever bought bread and tried to save it till the next day, it's a hockey puck man it's disgusting it doesn't it doesn't make it right fresh bread is always better and the Lord is like here I'm going to bring you fresh bread every day but the Israelites they settle they settle for day old bread they're they're settling for day old bread church I want to tell you that God has mercies new mercies for you every single day and if you will just trust in him, you don't have to settle for day old bread you don't have to settle for second best you don't have to settle for bread. Full of worms. He's got something fresh for you every single day. But what he's asking you to do and what he's asking me to do is trust him and walk in obedience. Walk in obedience. Now, this is the thing. It's one thing to say Jesus is Lord. It's another thing to live it. Right? Because we can't with one breath say Jesus is Lord and then turn around and disobey and we have to trust him. You wonder why your life is full of worms. You wonder why your life is full of stank. Why the stanks all over you. It's because you're walking in disobedience. And here's the thing: we want to obey what we want to obey, and we disobey where we want. Now, this is a huge problem. I've often said this, I believe it's biblically, it's totally biblically sound. God, if you're asking God to lead you in some new direction, I want to challenge, and you're not hearing from him, you're not, you know, your prayers are hindered. I want to ask you, have you been obedient to God? Because I feel like all through scripture, you don't get fresh revelation until you obey the revelation that's already come. God is revealing things to you through the preaching of the word, through growth groups, through the encouragement of friends or a spouse, and you're walking in no, you know you're walking in disobedience, but you want God's blessing somewhere else. This is a problem. This is a problem. He wants us to walk in obedience. The whole journey in the desert is to teach them this. Walk in in obedience. He's refining them through fire basically, you know. The Bible says that God is refining our faith like gold in a fire, right? It, if you ever, ever smelted aluminum like in science class or whatever, when you melt aluminum, up to the top comes I think it's called dross. It's like a it's a it's all the impurities in the aluminum. And so what you do is you just take something and you scoop that off before you cast anything. The fire, the fire makes the dross come to the top where it can easily be retrieved, right? And removed. That's the plan. God brings us through things. He's bringing the Israelites through the desert. He's testing their faith that the dross, that which is sinful in their life, that which is taking away from the joy of their life might come to the top and he might take it off. That is the crucible of faith. That is what God is doing in our lives. Do we trust that the Lord's provision will satisfy? This is so key, right? In your growth groups today, you'll be answering the quest this week, you'll be answering the question, what food could you eat forever, right? Or every day, right? What could you eat every single day? Don't, you know, keep it to yourself, save it for group, okay? But, what could you eat every day? Because here's the, they're eating bread every single day, right? They're eating quail every single day. Now the bread, the Bible says, was like wafers made of honey. And when I think of this, I think of those, I think it's a Dutch treat. It's two very thin waffles full of like a sh- sugary honey thing. What's it called? Stroopfafeln or something? Ooh, come on now. <laughs> if, that was on the, if that was on the grass every single morning and that's what I had to eat, I think I'd be cool with it. I wouldn't have any teeth, but I would, I would like it. I'd be gumming me some honey waffles. All right? That sounds good. But see, here's the thing. God just doesn't just give them, like, there's a, a drink out that some internet or some, uh, you know, programmer guy invented. It's called Soylent. And it's basically uh, a, a drink that he invented so that he, could, he didn't have to stop programming. He could just, you know, drink it all the nutrients he needed for the day. It's kind of flavorless. It's, it's disgusting. It's like a, a smoothie thing. You can Google it. Uh, Soylent and they sell it in different places. Right. And you know, the shake, the whole shake diet and all that, that's never really taken with me because I like, I like eating. I think God made food taste good on purpose. I mean, somebody say amen. amen. All right. God made food taste good on purpose. And I, I enjoy the process of eating sometimes too much, I admit, but I, I enjoy that. I don't want to just, and God could have just provided soylent for the Israelites. Just exactly what they needed, but not taste good. But the Bible tells us specifically that it tasted good and that it satisfied their hunger. Do we trust that what the Lord has for us will satisfy? Or do we think that maybe our old life, maybe the world, can, you know, are we willing to leave that world behind? That, that what's satisfying us now, that because we trust that what the Lord has for us, we're satisfied. Do we believe going to church and living for Christ and sharing the gospel and raising our kids up to love and serve the Lord? Do we really think that's going to be, this relationship with Jesus is enough? Are we still holding on? Are we afraid that it won't satisfy? Or are we still holding on because we believe that the world actually can satisfy us more? God wants us to recognize a couple of key things. Number one, that He is the Lord and that we are in desperate need of Him. We need Jesus. We need Him. We don't want Him, we don't add Him. We need Jesus. Secondly, Jesus is the bread of life. All of this, the bread and the water that we're going to talk about in a second, all foreshadows Christ. Jesus is the bread of life. In John chapter 6, he says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is saying, I am the bread who satisfies. I am the bread of the wilderness. I will satisfy. The thing is, church, we have to believe it. We really have to believe it and leave the old life behind and trust in him, that he will satisfy. He says he is, just like the Israelites. I will give you new bread in the morning. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. I satisfy. Do we believe that? Do we trust that? He is the bread of life, and he satisfies. Lastly, we'll be in Exodus 17, 3 and 6. My third point is this. God provides for his people in unexpected ways. He's going to make it rain bread. 17, verse 3. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me, and the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand, the staff, which you struck in the Nile and go behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. Before I get to my text, I, I feel like we just need to pause here for a second. I mean, my, my notes and go to verse four again, Moses cried out to the Lord. What shall I do with these people? let me tell you, church leadership is not easy. It's not easy. And there's times where I have cried out, Lord, what shall I do with these people? And there may be times where you have thought we're going to stone the pastor, right? It's not easy. And you know, in our community, many of you are in the position of looking for a new church every three or four years. And you're out evaluating churches, you're visiting churches, going here, going there, looking for churches that are going to fit the neat, fit your family. And I would put it to you this way, that I think many times the criteria by which we choose churches is, uh, well, it's not God's criteria, right? We look for churches that are going to make many times our life easier, right? We're looking for churches with lots of programs and lots of things happening. so that Our life can be easier. But what, how we should really evaluate churches is we should, ha- we should have a man or woman of God who's leading that church with a team of people who are dedicated to God's word, who's, who by example lead, right? Who say to the congregation they lead, follow me as I follow Christ. A church that, where the gospel is at the forefront, where the mission of God is out front, these things are, this is what's really, really important. All of this other stuff is kind of just icing on the cake. Because if you have all these other things, but not the core things, you're not going to be happy and you're, you're not going to grow. And so let's just, and I, I say this because I have friends who have been run off from churches. And the whole process in the States of electing a pastor is just totally stupid to me. All right. What happens is a, con- a pastor will leave. A church will then put out a pastoral search committee. And many times this committee, some of them are led of the Holy Spirit, but a lot of them are looking for people who will fit their church, right? Never mind the fact that God may be bringing somebody to totally shake it up, but they're looking for somebody who might fit. And then they invite that person to come preach. And if they like them, they vote. The people vote. That's stupid. If the people would have voted, they would have never voted in Moses. They would have never voted for Jesus. They would have never voted for Jesus, you know? And I mean, I know that this is an imperfect system, right? But I'm just challenging you, church, right? You don't always look for the person that you're most like. You don't, you don't look for the person who seems to possess all the gifts because they never do. But you look for God's person for the church, right? You look for who God has. Is, that, is, that, is somebody, God bringing somebody to shake up our congregation, to get us focused back on the mission of God? Then bring them, Lord. Right, but let's not just run them off when they start preaching stuff we don't like, when they start challenging us let's, let's let's stick with it. Thankfully, I've never felt like you guys are about to stone me. you know. But I have said, what am I going to do with these people? I have said that. but I love you. God provides for his people in unexpected ways. See, that was all for free. Now we're back to the sermon. God chose to strike the rock and not his children. Now, let me just say that again. God chose to strike the rock, not his children. Did the rock do anything to the Lord? Was the rock grumbling out? No. His people were. But God chose mercy. Now, We read this, and if we just casually read it, we just say the rock, you know, that's weird. Water comes out of a rock, but What we see here is another foreshadowing of Christ. Foreshadowing the day when God would strike his son that all might drink of water and never thirst again. We are the sinners. We are the grumblers. We are the ones who have wronged. But instead of striking us, which would be very natural for God to do, because we, we, we know that because it would be natural for us to do, right? We don't strike the innocent bystander. We strike the offender but God doesn't do that. If anything proves us God chooses mercy and grace over over justice, it's this, right? He wants to extend mercy and grace to us. He doesn't want to give you justice because if he did, he would have never sent Jesus. He sends Jesus, and Jesus was struck for the transgressions of the world. Once and all for our salvation. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4, it says this, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. This is obviously talking about the Exodus. And all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Church, Jesus is the bread of life, but he also is the one who offers water to the woman at the well and says, if you drink of this, you will never thirst again. Church, if we put all of our eggs in one basket, we put our whole life in Christ, I want to promise you today, not a promise from Pastor Matt, not a promise from the pulpit, but a promise from scripture that he will satisfy you. His bread will fill you up. The word of God will fill you up. The water that comes from Jesus is satisfying. It is enough. Leave the world behind and follow Jesus. Stay under the cloud because there's provision under the cloud. There's, everything we need is in Jesus. See, we grumble. When we grumble, it's because we want Jesus to save us, but we don't want to follow him according to his plan. God provides for us in unexpected ways. Where we can't see a way out, there's a way out. Nobody in the 500,000 Israelites that went through the sea came to there, came to the wilderness and said, "God's going to make it rain bread." You know? God's going to make water come out of this rock. It's just it's beyond us. And when we start grumbling, it's because we are leaning on our own understanding, we're trying to figure it out, and we forget that God is big. God is big, way bigger than you and me and our problems. He can make it rain bread. I still am hung up on that, right? He can do miracles. He can do miracles. And, and contrary to what some would say today, he's still doing miracles, He's still moving. He is still able. He is still God. When we grumble, it's us. It's us. We're just, we're, we're too into. or are in our own head. God doesn't do things the way we think he should or the way nature always works, but we are to trust him and his provision anyway. We're to trust him I, I, you know, I'm I, I, many of you know I'm a nerd, and I like Lord of the Rings and I like Star Wars, but I also like Indiana Jones. And then the third and final movie of the Indian, because let's the Crystal Skull. Let's not even talk about that, right? That was a sin, right? <laughs> but when we get to Indiana Jones, I think one of the best is the 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 Last Crusade when they're looking for the Grail and there's some tests, and Indiana comes to this cavern and you know from here back to the flights all the way to the back row and he and he has it's called the the leap of faith and he has to leap from the lion's head to get across and all he sees is endless nothing below him but he sticks out his foot like this I'm not going to do it because I'll break my ankle but he steps out and he He's on solid ground and he crosses over because there's like an invisible bridge that he can't see. It's just perfectly camouflaged and masked in. That step of faith, that willingness to trust everything, put everything on the line, his own life, leads him to the end of his quest and the grail. Church, it's an imperfect analogy for sure. But when is the last time you took a leap from the lion's head, right? When is the last time you really trusted God for something and stepped out in faith? Trust in Him, trust in His provision. He can see what we cannot. Amen? Amen. So, as I wrap up, let me just remind you that in humility, we should remember that we share in the same struggles and the same sinful patterns as the Israelites. The story is about us. It's about our shortcomings, but it's also about our very big God. We should also recognize that God is more patient and gracious than we could ever hope for or imagine. There's Tim Keller, I'm going to probably butcher this quote, but he says there's a couple things that you have to recognize. Number one, that you are more sinful than you can ever imagine. And this is hard to hear, right? You are more sinful than you could ever imagine. But God's grace is bigger than we could have ever hoped for, you know. The, in in essence, this is what He's saying is the gospel summed up very shortly. We're more sinful than we could ever imagine. God is more gracious and forgiving than we could ever imagine. We need to remember that because I think, you know, when we get into legalism and we we preach about sin. When we talk about sin, we can get in this thing where we feel very guilty. We feel very far from God. We feel very imperfect. We feel, and and all these things are true, but it's only half the gospel, right? We are sinners, and our sin is unimaginable, but uh, equally unimaginable is the grace and mercy of God. Lastly, God has called us to trust in His provision, knowing that He will satisfy our hearts. This is the faith that God has called us to. Faith that when there's no way out, when it feels like we're starving, that there's bread in the wilderness, that he will make water come out of the rock if he has to. Supernatural faith. Big trust. Big God. Amen? Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.